Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the shores of Malibu where the waves are pumping, to the Great Wall of China, and back to the streets of Las Vegas where the UFC is coming. We are live. This is It's Time Radio, the show we talk about what you think about but may be afraid to voice. Do not worry, we'll voice it for you. We talk about everything on It's Time. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, UFC, football, politics, film, TV. And we have a very interesting show today, an exciting show, actually. A very special guest to join my partner, TJ, and I. TJ, it's been a really fast-paced week. I hope you had a good week. But I want to dive right into this. We've got a special guest on the show, none other than the illusionist, the master illusionist, the master American magician, and a man of many talents, feats, you name it, this man's doing it. None other than Chris Angel. Chris, can you appear for us now? <laughs> What's up, Bruce? Thank you so much for having me, my man. What a pleasure. Oh, it's my pleasure to have you on, too. You know, I, we, um, we've met each other numerous times over the years at the UFCs, and uh, then I was at the Raider game doing my thing, and right before I did, you were there, which blew me away. Um, I have to get right into that trick that you performed. You know, I'm a big fan, as I was mentioning to you, of Magic and uh, Houdini when I was a kid. We talked about, you know, the movie about him with Tony Curtis and stuff. But you broke the, what the greatest, what people consider the greatest magician of all time, aside from yourself. You broke his record. And you were basically held upside down. They said 100 feet, but that looked like two, 300 feet. That was crazy, Chris. It was pretty high. <laughs> yeah, and you're in a straight jacket. You're upside down. You're spinning like crazy. Um, have you ever done it that high before? Is there any chance that you would not get out of that jacket? Do you ever have face those issues? Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people think it is a trick, like you said, but it's not, it's actually real. Uh, a lot of what I do is real. A lot of it's an illusion and it's up to the audience to try to, you know, determine what's what I try to blur the line. But the last time I did that outside in New York city, uh, I did a version of it and I ended up in the hospital. I had a complete, my bicep came off the bone. I had two complete rotator uh, cuff tears. I had a four hour surgery. I had uh, nine screws and anchors put into my shoulder. I had nine months of rehabilitation in order just to do that. Wow. And the doctor told me I should never do it again. But I, I had this opportunity from the Raiders. Mark Davis is a, is a good friend of mine. And, uh, um, they did this, you know, cancer awareness. My son has cancer. And so I, I was like, I'm happy to do something. And I thought about the straight jacket. I thought it would play big because it would be so high and with the free fall at the end. Um, so we shattered two records. I think it's the highest, um, you know, Houdini never did it any near that height. And I did it a lot faster than Houdini. I got out of it in less than 30 seconds. The way that you spent a uh, spun around, which was like, it's like watching an ice skater, you know, when they're doing the spin and you can't even see them. They're just a blur. Cause I've got a video of it that I showed you at the game. It was amazing. Um, do you get dizzy? I mean, it's, how do you handle that? How do you train for that? Yeah. It's like, it's, a, it's like anything else. I've been doing this for so many years in the beginning, when you first start, you, your body's not used to it. And, and so, you know, you, you feel nauseous, the room spinning. But now um, it, I, I don't, it doesn't affect me at all. I just, uh, it's just part of, you know, the, the focus, you know, just like a UFC fighter, you know, they have 
you know, when you get punched in the face, doesn't that hurt? Well, probably in the beginning, you stop shooting and, and you're not used to it. But after you get punched in the face so much, you become numb to it and it just becomes part of what you're doing. And so for me, it's just part and parcel to the process of what I do, you know, in my office. Yeah. You know, I always say, I wrote about it in my book. You never know who you are till you get punched in the face. Maybe you never know who you're all to two, 300 feet off the ground, getting out of a straight jacket. It might be the same quality. Who knows? You know, Chris, you started at a very young age. I think you were, I read where you were 12 years old. You had your first magic show. You got paid like 10 bucks for it. Was that what set you off was just nonstop from that point forward? I mean, how did, how did, what was the big emphasis for you to get into this? Yeah, I think my stick to um, and, and was definitely made up for the lack of talent that I had. I was somebody who was obsessed with, you know, living a dream that I uh, saw for myself because magic was always presented as this like hokey thing. And I never wanted to do that. I was much more influenced by pop culture, by music, by film and by by the UFC. Actually, I, 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 I trained in in. Um, you know, some mixed martial arts and, and, and was really, really excited about that style of movement and bringing physicality to the stage, you know, like Houdini did, you know, as right. a matter of fact, I here and, and Chuck Liddell and uh, uh, Paige Van Zandt punched me in the stomach, which was recreating what Houdini used to do and what actually ended up killing him. So for me, since I was a kid, I was always very, very driven. I put in those hours every day. Uh, nonstop. And it took me 18 years to become an overnight success. And I could just say, if I did it, I'm living proof that anybody, no matter what their dream is, can do it. You just have to put the action, the work and have put that sweat equity in, you know, and, and eventually you will, you will live your dream. Uh, if I could do it, anybody can. You know, it's, it's evident and you've proved that so many times. I mean, whether it's with your TV show, Mind Freak Live, um, the Chris Angel Believe Illusion show you had uh, when you were at the Luxor, but you're not at the Luxor anymore. Um, you're, tell us where you're at right now, because if I remember correctly, when we talked, not only do you have your show, but you started a new show that you're not part of with the people that created, uh, was it Circuit de Soleil? Or yeah, so what happened is, uh, so I, I basically, I did, uh, I was at the Luxor for over 10 years, and I, I worked for Cirque du Soleil, and it was uh, a, a beautiful and horrible experience all at the same time because the show wasn't originally started off as my vision. Um, it, it, it was something that I really, um, I did because I was on the contract, but I wasn't, my heart wasn't into it, but I had to do 460 shows a year wow. for you. Um, and then uh, eventually I, uh, I got that contract done. And then I opened up my show that I created, Mind Freak at Planet Hollywood which, um, which I own the show, I directed it, created it. It's really what you see me do on television, a spectacle, I levitate, I fly, I hang upside down over the audience's heads. I you know, do all sorts of crazy things. And it's a type of show that it's the first immersive experience Las Vegas has ever seen, truly an immersive experience. So we have broken all types of records, um, generating you know, uh, gross revenues for the hotel and it's just, you know, incomparable. Uh, we got voted the number one show in Las Vegas. Um, uh, just all types of really great things that have happened. So Caesars, who's my partner, came to me and said, hey, we'd love you to create another show. And so Franco Dragone, who's probably the most prolific creative director of modern day theater, he created, directed, oh, Mystere, 
Celine Dion, The New Day, La Rev, and the list goes on and on. He wow. and I, we're doing this new show. It will premiere before the end of the year. And it will be uh, a show that will be really um, something that is very revolutionary in the way that the audience experiences it because it really will be immersive. And it's the prequel to Mind Freak. So it's the story before Mind Freak. But, you know, we have a tornado in the show. We have a blizzard in the show. We have wow. a, a sky that's going to be lit completely, a full body burn on fire in midst of a half a billion pixels of video and 2,000 lights and 31 flame heads and it's 165 speakers that create an ultimate soundtrack surrounding you. So it's that type of immersive experiences that we're looking to bring Vegas into the future. And I think between Mind Freak and this new show, we'll be able to accomplish that. Well, that sounds pretty spectacular. You know, I was reading some stats uh, back in 2010 when you were down at the Luxor. That show generated $150 million in revenue that year alone, um, which is staggering. And I could imagine that's even a higher level of revenue you can achieve in today's world, even with the COVID environment around Vegas. But when you mentioned the lights and the camera and the action, basically everything going involved in that, how much of a ramp up time do you have to in, in rehearsal and, and structuring? And how does it take to put a show like that together until the actual first night that you have the show? Well, it's interesting because, you know, Cirque du Soleil typically will take two to three years and spend between one to two hundred million dollars to create it. Wow. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm doing Bronco in a matter of 12 weeks. And I have a team. I have over 100 people that work for me and I have a 60,000 square foot studio. That's about 60 seconds from the stadium that we were at. Right. And. I have two big buildings and I have everything. We have full fabrication, wood metal shops, CNC machines. We have a sound stage. Uh, we have uh, a, a video, a 60 foot green screen, full edit phase. We do video mapping, we do everything in house. So we're able to do things at hyperspeed that typically you have to go to different vendors all over the country to get them to produce, but we just do it in house. And I have an incredible team and along with Franco's team, um, we're really doing this in hyperspeed and we have to, quite frankly, the days of doing hundred million dollar shows are gone. You know, COVID uh, gave us a wake up call and with the Delta variants, you know, and our governor could, could shut things down. Who the hell knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very fiscally responsible and you can't buy creativity. All the money in the world doesn't take a, good, a bad idea and make it good. Um, so I like to think that we have really some of the greatest minds I know between Franco and some of the folks that work with me and myself, um, we're able to do things, um, you know, very differently. So we can do it in a matter of months and, uh, and with basically Cirque du Soleil's food budget. That's staggering because, you know, when I think about the fact of all it co goes into setting it up, once the show begins one show a night or two shows a night? Uh, well, I used to do two, but now that I'm 53, I do one. Uh -huh. now I can understand two shows so there'll be two shows programmed uh a night and uh and i also tour i play broadway i i do all sites i do television stuff so i have my schedule is really full and so one show a night for me with mind freak gave me the opportunity to do a lot of other things i always wanted to do but couldn't do when i was in a previous contract it still yeah. blows me 
Go ahead, Tito. Go ahead, TJ. Uh, just real quick, uh, Chris. We we have comedians on the show from time to time, and we talk to comedians about how the the room is different from one set to the next. I'm curious if you can can get a different vibe from one show to the next. Like, is is there uh, an energy that you feel from from your audience? Without a question. Um, and you, that's how you, you work every night. There's a new audience and in the history of the world, that audience will never be together again, ever. So you have to basically feel the audience, feel the energy. And, you know, some nights, you know, a lot of drunk people, a lot of excited people, a lot of tired people. So I basically adjust accordingly. I never do the same show twice and the really dictating what my pacing is what that give and take is and what that energy is going to be like. But my show is not like a cheesy, like magic show or like, you know, what you expect, or it's not even that it's a concert. It's like people standing and, and, and just partying and just the craziest shit that, that happens. Um, So it's a very different world than what we're used to seeing and so the energy is that much more of like, you know, you go into a club or you go into a concert or you go into a UFC fight, that energy energy is pretty electrifying, but sometimes it's more than others, depending upon the day of the week, um, depending on what's going on in town. Um, but I, I do the show, I'll be doing a show tonight. So it's like, it, I do it five nights a week. So you're saying like right before that show, you can actually change it up and switch it. Don't you have to go through in production issues and everything if you're going to change you know one bit to another um no i i usually my my team has been with me for well over a decade some of them have been with me for two decades and they know what i'm like and i don't even tell them i go on stage and i just do things on the fly i can do a second that could take you know uh you know five minutes or i can make that 15 minutes long depending upon how it's going and you know what what the bit what it's producing so um, all of my video content, which I have, you know, a half a billion pixels of video, which translates into LED screen over the entire audience's head, including the balcony. It's so, so I have everything on loops, the music, everything. And I have people that will actually know that I'm going longer. So they'll, they'll trigger loops and different, a uh, segue to go longer or shorter, depending upon how I'm flowing. I don't want to be reading a teleprompter like the dude does across the street. For me, it's all, it's all about, you know, being in the moment. These people that have come to see me, I'm so grateful for. They spent their hard-earned money. They had lots of choices after COVID to come back for the first time after 16 months of being cooped up in your house. They chose me. Like, I leave it all on the stage. I want to listen to the audience, and I want to give them, you know, the best experience that I'm capable of. I call that being organic. You know, it's like you want it to be real. It's like when I walk out in a much lesser situation doing my stuff that I do in the Octagon and the UFC, I feed off the energy of the crowd and the energy can be different on any given night, especially now when sometimes I'm announcing to 50 people in an arena when there's, you know, <laughs> nobody there because of COVID. <laughs> oh, gee, Bruce, because, you know, what you're doing is you're setting a tone, right? right? And, and when you come out, whether there's 50 people or, you know, 20,000 people, you're you're taking that and you're either helping bring that energy up higher and getting people excited and anticipating what's going to happen you know so you you kind of are that ball of energy and you basically react to what the audience is giving you 
audiences. And that's exactly what any good entertainer does. They go out there and they listen to the audience and they try to help facilitate, be the guy to let them have even a better time and get more excited. Thanks, Chris. You just motivated me to get out there again as soon as possible. I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, true. I want to, I want to get in a couple other aspects of your personality that people don't know. Um, but before I do, I have to ask you a very obvious question that I'm sure you get asked. And thank you again for your kind words uh, that I'm sure you get asked a lot. Now, you know, the water torture cell bit that you did in, in Times Square back in 2002, I saw that was phenomenal, right? What is the most dangerous illusion you ever have done? Is there is there such a thing? Is there like the most dangerous that you would never do again or you wow. would do again? I did over a thousand demonstrations on Mind Freak alone. That doesn't even incorporate the other TV specials and series that I've done. Right. And really, for different reasons, a lot of them are very dangerous. So as an example, you know, I hung, which was not a trick, which had no painkillers, no numbers, nothing. I hung from four fish hooks through my back. And I was to ever fly from a helicopter by hanging by fish hooks over the Valley of Fire. I was in that situation. I hung by six bishops for 24 hours. Um, I spent 24 hours underwater. I, 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 I floated above the Luxor, which I could have killed myself easily. Mm -hmm. I a lot of really insane things, each in their own way could have killed me or maimed me. Uh, I've been somehow blessed by uh, the almighty that I didn't kill myself because I took a lot of chances before I had kids and stuff, even equal, I'm saying that as I just did the Raiders thing, you know, that ceiling was 160 feet up and, you know, that was put together in three days and anything that can go wrong eventually does go wrong. So, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're all for different reasons. Uh, pretty nuts getting buried alive. I did that. Um, even just getting punched in the stomach by some of these you know, heavyweights, you know, was not something that, you know, that's how Houdini died. He, he had gotten punched by a college student because he could take any man's punch. And after one of his shows, they're like, Mr. Houdini, is it true that he could take any man's punch? Any man's punch? And he wasn't prepared. And they just, you know, punched him in the stomach and it ruptured his appendix. And, uh, and basically, eventually that killed him in 1926 on Halloween. So, you know, if you're not ready and you're not focused and you're not like in that mindset, um, you know, a lot of these different things, although people, oh, it's just a trick. It's just magic. Bullshit. Right. Yeah. The shirt that I used was a complete real jacket from the Posey company. They manufacture jackets for hospitals throughout the country. So some of the shit that I do when I levitate is not real. It looks real, but it's not. And then some of the stuff that you might not believe is real is real. So right. it's following that line. It's very intriguing, you know, because a lot of magicians would never say what you just said. And again, is a proper... We touched on this. I mean, it's proper better to call you an illusionist than a magician. Is that correct? Um, what does it matter? It doesn't. It really does. I've been called worse. Uh, <laughs> magician, uh, uh, I, it doesn't. I'm, those are just means. I'm really just an artist, an entertainer that uses those things as a vehicle to connect to people. You know, as you said before, you know, magicians don't really talk about this because magicians have been guarded in an empty safe. And which is a secret. And that's the only thing they have to offer is right. I think that you don't know how I do. And to me, that doesn't matter. What matters is how you feel when you watch it. Am I connecting to you on an emotional, visceral level? If I am, then I'm really 
achieve in the greatest form of magic, and that's the magic of emotion. Mm. And so movies can reveal movie magic, but you'll go see the movie because there's something to connect to. Mm-hmm. Magicians inherently and historically have only been offering one thing. How does this work? And to me, that doesn't matter. That's one piece of the puzzle. Right. And it's in, as we're in 2021, you need to, to generate a much more engaging experience than just, I can do something you can't. That's insulting. Gotcha. You know, it's very interesting. I love your attitude. You know, stepping away from magic and everything you're so absolutely brilliant at, I'm just a huge, I'm a huge fan, Chris. So I, so. I, I like to call you my friend, but I'm a huge fan. I really am. I have been for many, many, many years. But one one side, I had the chance and pleasure to meet your your wonderful wife and your children and Johnny Christopher, your boy, who was diagnosed in 2015 with um, leukemia, correct? Yes. And, and at 20 months old, uh, you've been dealing with that with your son. You, you The way you acted around your family, you're an amazing father. My friend Kitty and I were commenting just the attention, the, the love to your children. It was wonderful. But you started the uh, the Chris Angel or the Johnny Johnny Christopher Children's Charitable Foundation, right? And this is to help with cancer uh, that your son is still dealing with. Yes. Um, this is a very, very wonderful, valiant, amazing thing that you're doing. Tell us about it. Tell us how we can give to it. Just just tell us about this this organization, how it's going, please. Thank you so much, Chris, for, for pointing that out, because that's really my life's mission, more importantly than anything. I feel that. I, uh, in 2001, way before I uh, had a child when I was crazy, before anybody even knew who I was, I opened up a little show at the WWF at the time, which now is the WWE. It was on Broadway, 3rd Street. And I took a banquet room and the McMahons allowed me to do a little show called Mind Freak there. That's how I started. And I lost my father in 98. It was just after, you know, 9-11 that I opened the show up. And I just felt compelled to try to do something positive. So I worked with an organization in New York called the Sunshine Kids, which deals with kids with different diseases like cancer and stuff. And I met a a little boy who's the first kid I met. His name was Corey. And he was probably um, four, five, six years old in that area. And he loved magic and he loved wrestling. And I used to see this boy and he was going through hard times. I gave him my number and he used to call me. And this is before I was known or anything like that. And then he passed on. And it made such a strong impact on me that I, I was ever blessed with success that I would try to use my success for the better of, of these kids. You know, I would try to be a, a light for them, a voice for them, very much like Jerry Lewis was for many, many years. Yeah. So, um, so fast forward, um, I started my own organization back then. And in 2008, I formed what was called Believe Anything is Possible, which was a, a, a children's uh, organization to help raise funds for the benefit of these kids that are going through this craziness. And then I had my own child after that. And then he was diagnosed with the same thing that I was dealing with before I had my child here in Vegas with once Mind Freak came out, I was doing, I did 50 make-a-wishes um, for granted kids wishes and I was dealing with them and I would throw their Christmas parties for make wish of Southern Nevada or you know doing things for St. Baldrick's or um, a circus uh, couture or um, all of these different fun and then I had my own kid that had the same disease that 
that I literally was working with these children. A lot of these kids I would know for six years and they would pass away like Avery, a beautiful little girl that anyway, um, just really affected me. So when I had my kid and then he had that, I felt like, you know what, this is, this is not a coincidence. Although one child every two minutes is diagnosed with cancer, this is something that's pretty profound. And then I started really getting involved, raised over a million dollars in one night with Jerry Lewis, with uh, Mike Tyson, with uh, Gary Oldman at, at my theater, where we donated all that money locally. Um, we donated over 50,000 meals during COVID to families that have a child with cancer. They lost their job and they had to make a decision. Am I going to put food on the table or am I going to or am I going to buy the prescription? So we did over right. 50, we set up. So for me, it's a really important aspect. And I take donations every day at my show, 100%, always 100% of every cent that we raise goes to the cause. We don't take a penny out for overhead, for administration. I pay for every expense out of my pocket. And, um, and so we had a big event plan. And I was actually at Dana's house because Dana has been a friend of mine for a long time. I used to be at all of those fights, I but know. then I go and I, I can't, they're always on a Saturday night. And so I'm watching it from my dressing room. Right. Dana. Um, and we were putting together a big, big um, uh, function that we were going to try to raise. Dana was going to participate. Mark Davis. Um, I had uh, Gary Oldman and uh, kiss was going to perform live. We had, you know, Mark Anthony, um, Pitbull, Backstreet Boys, Tony Hawk, everybody um, was going to be there. And we were going to try to raise $20 million in one night. So it's a huge thing for me. I just opened up a restaurant that's part of an escape camp I'm doing for kids and the food and the escape camp. And I'm staying overnight. It's all going to be free. And so it's a big part of my life. And it's, it's what is really important to me. So if people would like to donate, whether it's a dollar, a hundred dollars, you can go to chrisangelhealth.com and just make a donation and uh, certainly do appreciate it. No, that's awesome because uh, first off, as we, as we know, well, you and I know, and not many people know really, when you give to the Red Cross, you're lucky 5% of that dollar even makes it to the Red Cross, right? The, the uh, disclaimer you just put out about the fact that 100% of the funds make it, that's the kind of charity that I like giving to. You know, not that the Red Cross doesn't do a great job, don't get me wrong. But, you know, if you're going to give a dollar, I want that dollar to go to the to the yeah. what it's about. There's organizations that you donate money and they they take, you know, 20 percent out or 25 percent out for overhead. To me, charity, this is just my personal point of view. I'm not making anybody else like putting it out there for other people to like, oh, you're guilty. of. No, for me, charity means that you don't get anything back. Mm -hmm. What you is a feeling that is far greater than what you're donating. When you do something and you want to cover your expenses, then it's not really charity. It's like you're doing something, you know, to make yourself feel like, for me, it's about like, look, I want to give, I, I, um, I don't, I want that money to go to the cause and for that cause, not for the lights or for the president of the right. company, $500,000 salary. To me, that's, that's, that's not me. I want, our charity to always maintain that every cent we raise goes to these kids and that I personally, out of my own pocket, with the blessings that I've had with my show and the money I generate from that helps facilitate that. That's just for me.
That's a beautiful thing. That's that's you're paying it forward. Very simply, you're paying it forward. And, and the way it should be. Ease, trust me, I've been on both sides of the fence. And cancer, I lost my father from cancer. I lost, you know, many friends from it. And then to have uh, my son going through this at seven years old, you know, five plus years of his seven years on this earth. He's been doing chemo every freaking day. Yeah. Final tap. It's it's when you mm. your your changes you. He's a different boy than the average boy. He's so much more sensitive, more kind. He's wonderful. I have two boys, and they're both very different from each yeah. other. But um, it just gives you a greater appreciation for every moment. Absolutely, and I I could see that. And um, your lovely wife is pregnant again. You've got your third child on the way. Like you're eight months, uh, you're one month away, right? Yes, actually. We, we are not technically married. She's my significant other, but, uh, but I'm sure that will happen again down the road. But yes, right. we have, we, we're going to have three children together. Chenille is my better half. She's amazing. She's an amazing mother. She's an amazing singer. And, uh, and so we're going to have a third child uh, probably the first week of December. And the child's name will be Alusha Angelina. Alusha for illusion. And then Angelina Angel female version <laughs> i love that you know one of my specialties not illusion illusionistic wise is uh commemorating the birth of babies so when your child is born i would love to get a few stats from you so that i could present to you a very cool video to commemorate the birth of your baby i would love to do that for you chris that would be so amazing i definitely yeah. go up on that because that would be something that um will uh will cherish for a long time you know i I've been watching you now evolve and transform over years of doing the UFC. And you kind of, you just have it dialed in now. I just, Dan, I want to ask you a question. Go ahead. How do you, how do you get some of the names? Because some of these names are not, they don't roll off the tongue very easily. Right. Here's the thing, Chris. Honestly, the longer the name, like Habib Nurmagomedov, the longer, the more syllables, the better. It gives yeah. me more. It gives me more meat to work with, um, to formulate, and then you know get that that tone, that intonation that I want to get out to draw out the name. The most difficult names are the single syllable names, like Frank Trigg, right? It's like Frank Trigg. Okay, right. I want to I want to like let it fly. You know, I need a couple syllables. I can still make single syllables sound good, but give me the longer, the better. The Russian names, the the Asian names. I mean, I, I, I'm like a kid in a candy store. Bring it, bring it, bring it. So, so how, I, how long do you, I, I know this is your show, how long do you actually practice? Because I know you have a card, everybody sees the card, but you obviously are not doing that for the first time. You are working this out. How long does it take you to work it out before an event? Um, I'm always very honest. And I'll tell you right now, I don't rehearse. No. I never, I never rehearse. I mean, I don't sit in the shower and go like Chuck Liddell, you know, I don't do all that and stuff. The only thing I do is the UFC is a well-oiled machine. So we'll get like the names and we'll get uh, sound bites of the fighters saying their names. So the only rehearsal, if I could even say it's rehearsal is, is that I listen to how they sound, say their name and then phonetically I'll write it on the card. Right. So the two, three hours it takes me to prepare all my cards, which I put a lot of effort into. It's like the way I was when I studied for a test. I thought if I didn't learn it listening to it in a class, I never would get it anyway. So I never studied for tests, right? And I graduated in the top quarter of my class. So, 
it's just my how my mind works. When I'm writing those cards, everything is getting absorbed. Wow. And I'll say the name under my breath to me. But there's a rehearsal voice and there's the organic live feeding off the energy voice. Yeah. And I just want to walk in that octagon, feel the energy of the crowd, shake my head. You see, I kind of warm up a little bit before I start, get myself in the zone, stare into the eye of the tiger. I don't even hear the audience. It's just me and the fighter and let it fly. And that's the way it works for me, Chris. Seriously. The fighter off? Like, did he ever like, like anybody ever get angry with you? Like that you're like, that you did something or they didn't appreciate it or like they just, you just know something was. No, I never had, I never had that. I get more, um, which is the highest compliment you can get from a fighter is like afterwards, whether it's Antonio Nogueira or whatever came up to me one time in Brazil, he said, Oh my God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You took me to another level, you know, and I, I took that into my fight. When a child comes up to you and asks you for a picture and autograph, that's the greatest thing ever. Right. When a fighter comes up to you and says, thank you, 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 you got me going then I know I'm doing my job. Yeah, because now, you're getting up, right? You're like, yeah. the way you're saying it with all this energy, they're like, they believe they can walk on, on, on air. You know, they're just- Exactly. I've been around fighters most of my life. You know, even before I got in UFC and boxing, I was, you know, I fought plenty myself, never as a pro. I have the mentality and I know the mentality of a fighter. So when I'm in there loosening up, I'm actually want to introduce the fighter the same way I'd want to be introduced if I'm about to go out and put my blood, sweat, and tears in life on the line. Right. I want to enhance that moment and take them to the next level. Now, in answer to your question, the very first time I ever got in the ring and announced somebody, I was with my brother, Michael, who I've managed for 30 years. I've, you know, trademarked the phrase and built the business with him together uh, on the Let's Get Ready to Rumble, you know, brand franchise. And um, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't realize that you managed him. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I Michael and I, segueing for a second, Michael and I did not grow up together. Do you know that? No, I did not. We back in the late 80s when Mike Tyson came on the scene and boxing got really huge. And I was watching boxing right out of the womb. My dad was a huge boxing fan. My grandfather was the flyweight bantamweight champion of the world in 1921. His name's Johnny Buff. And Bert Sugar called him the greatest boxer of, of 1921. So it's in my blood. It's in my dad's blood. And I was watching boxing fresh out of the womb. It was our weekly ordeal, Tuesday night fight, Saturday, why world of sports on Sunday. Then when Michael came out, um, out comes this debonair James Bond looking individual saying, let's get ready to rumble. And they Chiron kind of the name on the screen, Michael Buffer. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? Right. Or like, like Connor would say, who the fuck is this guy? Right. <laughs> so then, so I, I, I own telemarketing companies in my twenties, pre-internet and my thirties. And I, as a nature, when, when my salesmen were working, you know, selling the off supplies, we had phone books, we had leads, but I looked in every phone book around the city to look for my last name buffer as a lot of people did. Right. Like you would look for angel, you know, yeah. and I never saw my name in the phone book. So then when it's on the screen, I'm like, who the hell is this guy? So then I start calling and finding out that he grew up near me in Philadelphia and Jersey and. Huh? It was a documentary about this. It was a mini. There's actually a film in development I've... right now about my life. Oh yeah. The, the, uh, the uh, Brian Gumble uh, yeah. did a really nice thing on it. So awesome. I haven't talked about it very much, but Michael and I met when I was like 29 years old. Wow. Uh, he was doing a fight in the Valley. And I had my dad call the arena, left a message. Michael called him back. They got together. It turned out to be my dad didn't tell me he was married at 20 years old and a son was born while he was overseas, um, you know, fighting in the Pacific. He came back, a divorce ensued. And the last time he saw the child was when he was two and a half. And, and Michael was raised by foster parents under the name of Huber, but he was never formally adopted. Right. So when he went in the army at 20 during the Vietnam War, they said on his birth certificate, it said, you're not Huber, you're Buffer. You're Michael Buffer. 
Had that not happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Wow. Because I never would have searched him out. Incredible. And then when I met him, I owned two companies. I was very successful, beach house, living the two and a half men lifestyle minus the alcoholism, right? I was having a great time, and, and but I was burned out. I was just completely burned out by what I was doing, even though I was making you know great money. Um, and I quit with the money I had in the bank, and I basically told Michael, I want to make him richer, more famous than he ever dreamed. I want to be his manager, his partner. I want to make video games, toys, put him in TV, football fields, everything. And he's like, how are you going to do all that? And I said, I don't know, but if I'm going to give all this up, you better believe I'll make it happen. I just got to trademark these five words so they don't get stolen from you, and we'll take it from there. The rest is history. That's how it happened. And how did you then transition to actually doing the UFC then? Well, I wanted to be an announcer when I met him because it was such a cool job. I mean, let's face it. You're, you're dressed to the nines. You're traveling the world like James Bond. You know, I always say I, I put a tuxedo in a bag. I go somewhere, find a casino, maybe kiss a pretty girl and come home. That's a joke, right? But it's just like that James Bond lifestyle, right? I am joking when I say that to a degree. <laughs> so with that being said, I thought, what a great, great job. I mean, it's just how can you not want to do this? So I said, I want to do boxing. I'd like to announce. He goes, no, it'll be a confliction of interest. And I agree with him because uh, that is true. And I said, uh, basically, um, that's all right. Something will come along. So I concentrated on just building his brand himself and building that business. Then the UFC came along. When I saw that, that was my life. That's I mean, I've been in martial arts since I was 12. You know, I've been training in various styles. I have three black belts. So, you know, fought as a kickboxer. It's like, oh, my God, this is my world, you know. And I had Michael do three UFCs, um, but we had a big deal with the WCW wrestling. And the first time he came out of the UFC, they had him say, if it's not in the octagon, it's not real. Well, that didn't stand well with wrestling. And I knew I was going to get a call on Monday. So I got a call and that contract was a huge contract for Michael. And he couldn't have grown with the UFC the way they did with all the shows. Right. So I had to pull him. He did three shows and I convinced the UFC over the course of a year and a half to make me the announcer. And that's a whole nother story. It didn't happen right away. I had to fight for that job. I actually managed a fighter named Scott, the Pitbull Ferrazzo into UFC eight and buy him on Puerto Rico in 1996, February 16th, 1996. And I only did that because I knew they would fly me down with them. And I put my tuxedo in the bag and I convinced the owner to let me announce the prelims. I said, you need me in the octagon. I have the media contacts you don't have. I can help you build this brand, but wow. I need to grow with you as an announcer. And that was my first experience. And they called me back for UFC 10, which I did. And then another six months passed. I would stop in New York, take them out to dinner, whatever. Nobody would give me a job. They'd hire somebody else. Then they got on Friends and they called me up and they said, would you like to co-star as yourself on Friends? Well, that gave me all the fodder to get. the right. job. So I went and did it and I met with him on the set and I said, look, I feel like a girl waiting to be asked to the prom and nobody's asking. I need to be the announcer. I need to be the octagon announcer and help you build this brand, but I need to grow with you. And now I'm co-starring on the biggest comedy in the world as myself. Right. I mean, is it obvious now that we can do this? Yeah. yeah. Best poker hand I ever played, Chris. Best really? poker hand I ever played. You what know, is grew from that point. You were tenacious. You just like a pit bull. I'm an animal. Uh, things don't happen unless you make them happen, Chris. And I know you know that better than anybody. About something that I'd love to happen. What would it take to get you to say, so I can maybe use it before my show begins or just about as the beginning, it's time for Mind Freak. Uh, just a simple email with a script do I, and tell me if you want it on wave or MP3 uh -huh. and it'll be right uh -huh. there for you. Tell me if you want a video or you want an audio, everybody else is going to have to pay through the roof. Chris, let me do that as a charitable donation for your foundation and for you and your son. <laughs> uh, that's a beautiful thing. Thank Thank you so very much. Done. It's done. You just tell me, you got, you know, text me. You'll have exactly. Let me know if you want a video or an audio or both and I'll do both. Oh, uh, you're the best. Thank you so much.
I'll do the video in front of a green screen. So you can put any, of course, you can put any image behind it you want. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure you can make that happen. <laughs> so kind of you. Of course. No, I'd be happy to. But thank you for your kind words. I, we kind of got away from that, but I wanted to give you an answer to your question. The very first time I announced, I was in Kellogg, Michigan, and I was with my brother as his manager, and it was a kickboxing event. And, you know, Michael said, why don't you bring a tux, you know, announce one of the fights, because he knew I wanted to, you know, cut my teeth. And I had already done public speaking and used to being in front of people and motivational speeches with my companies and stuff. So I'm comfortable in front of people. But I got up in the ring, I announced the fight, then I announced the winner. And the guy came over and he said, uh, Bruce, thank you so much for the announcement. But I've really been waiting the last two months to hear your brother say my name. That was the, that was probably the worst one that ever happened to me right there. <laughs> I felt so bad you know, for the guy because, <laughs> you know, Michael Buffer is Michael Buffer, right? <laughs> uh, you, you're both legends and uh, you both do an incredible job and have been caught. You, you're, you're, you're pop culture. You, you are pop culture, you know, like, you're, you. you know, which is pretty, pretty amazing if you think about all the people that you know, do announcing and they're not, you know, and it's your whole body language, your whole demeanor. And, and, and it's really, you know, like you don't have a UFC fight unless you have that. Um, thanks, that Chris. Thank you. That's everybody excited. Well, you know, that's another attitude I have um, is that every night I walk out there, I have to prove I deserve this job. I have to prove to the powers of be to Dana, the fans, to myself, to my family that I have to do this job. So I treat every night as my first night. And that way I'm a kid in a candy store and I have the passion to keep it going. You know, the travel that goes into this, you know what we have to go through. You tell me about all the shows you do. I'm mind boggled or mind freaked thinking about all you do compared to what I do. You know, it blows me away. So much respect. And I don't think people understand that unless they do what we do or have a taste of what it takes to make these things happen. And the trick is to make it look simple. You know, that's, that's the key. It's, it's putting in at 10,000 hours, as they say. Yeah, Exactly. Speaking of 10,000 hours, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I'm taking up your time, but it's so great to have you on the show. Is there, is there anything? Um, I think we just lost you, Chris. I got the, yeah. there you are. Uh, is there anything you want to tell the audience? Um, go ahead. Just uh, your platform. Yeah. Go for it. Grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you, Bruce. Uh, I think you're a really good guy, very talented guy. And typically I don't do things like this because I'm insanely busy. But when we met, I just, you know, well, we, we've known each other, but then we kind of uh, right. met. Raiders thing and I was just you know very happy to do it because you're just such a you know a humble nice guy thank you and uh and you know just really got a great vibe from you and so I just want to say to everybody you know keep watching Bruce do this <laughs> of interesting guests on and uh if you want to see something pretty insane outside of UFC fight before or after come and see Mind Freak at Planet Hollywood we do a show basically uh, Wednesday through Sunday at 7 p.m. And uh, you can follow me just at Chris Angel on all the social media platforms. That's awesome. I'm going to make one of the Friday shows when I can time it, when I come in. Usually I come in late, you know, Friday, do the show and get back home. But I definitely want to see the show. And um, I definitely want to do the video or audio for you, Chris. So just let me know and it's going to be done. Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody for watching. And by the way, a lot of my fans are watching this because I promoted it. Oh, thank you. Well, I'll send you the link when it comes up. We'll be, we'll be po posting it up tomorrow. God so bless. Be awesome. God bless you. Oh, Chris, real quick, your shirt. Yeah. That's your restaurant. Tell us the name of the restaurant, please. Oh, it's called Kablip, which got voted by Vice Magazine as the worst name in restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> which, 
by the way, I celebrate because a band, uh, I never, I don't know if you know them or heard of them, but they're called the Beatles. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the worst rock band name in history by Rolling Stone magazine. So Kablip, which stands for, it's an acronym, Chris Angel's Breakfast, Lunch and Pizza, is um, uh, a restaurant that's 45 minutes from Planet Hollywood in the Moapa Valley area. We have East Coast Pizza. I think it's some of the best pizza in Nevada. We have gourmet Italian ice, which we manufacture in my plant, um, Java free coffee. We have incredible burgers, mind free burgers. And we're doing a lot of really wonderful things. It's been built since 1938. I took it over and uh, we opened, we were doing in a 2000 square foot space about 750 to 800 people a day. Wow. Handle it. Um, so we had to close up, get more refrigeration. We were running out of food, ice cubes and everything like that. But now we're open and we're kicking ass and uh, we're going to be doing like make-a-wish parties there. And we're going to be doing a lot of events that are going to benefit the community and, uh, and, and try to do some good things um, combined with the escape camp, which will be about nine minutes away. I bought 14 acres to build that. I just have to get time to do it. But the restaurant's open now. Kablip or Chris Angel's Breakfast, Lunch and Pizza. You can go to eat blip, E-A-T-B-L-P dot com and check out the menu and the restaurant that's very cool and again you're just paying it forward so let me pay it forward a little more aside from your show any of the special events the charitable events you have if i can be of any promo help please just let me know okay i definitely will bother you thank you uh, so cool much. i want to be bothered by you chris it's all good <laughs> and you better come to the show i will i will trust me i'll see you there let me get my schedule together it's a little crazy for the next few months i gotta do the abu dhabi new york routine we're heading out of town for a while Awesome. But well, I'll be back. I'll be there. God bless. And thanks again for having me. All right. God bless you, Chris. God bless your family. It's such a pleasure to meet everybody. Have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. All right. Take cheers. Care. Hi, everybody. I've had an absolute blast recording your championship intros on audio and also on video. And for those of you that didn't know, the videos can be done special exactly the way you like them because these are green screens and we can do them with a scene behind me. Do you want a fighting scene? Do you want a beach scene? Do you want a race car scene? Any scene you want, we can give it to you. It's your theme and my pleasure. Just write our offices and we will answer you with the exact fee involved and how it'll get done. So here we are, and now it's time, and it's your choice. Cheers. There he is. Hell of a guy. Yeah. You know, I don't think people realize uh, how deep he is beyond the deepness of his illusionary work, which is right. just phenomenal. It, it yeah. really is. You know, that's one thing, too. I think that, uh, you know, you you kind of asked him, like, what he prefers, illusionist or, or magician. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in, in 2021, I feel like when you say magician, people kind of like shy away from it, right? Because they don't want to yeah. feel like, oh, it's magic. Magic's not real. But like it, what Chris Angel does, it's not, you know, pulling a rabbit out of a hat. It's like literally bending your beliefs on how things work and makes your mind freak. You know what I mean? So yeah. It, yeah. Uh, it, it's an all-encompassing show. And, uh, you know, he, he was cool about being called a magician, but I, I just don't feel like that's the word for him. No, I don't think it is either. I think that, uh, you know, I think it was said very clearly on the show. I mean, his work goes beyond the world of magic. It goes beyond the world of illusion. It's just, it's so all encompassing in so many yeah. different ways. I'm just blown away that 
when you consider the depth of what it takes to put on a show that he puts on, the number of people involved, right? And obviously, he's got a well-oiled machine of a team, the way the UFC is a well-oiled machine of a team. But it takes so much. I mean, I can't even fathom changing a show on yeah. the on the on the go. Well, like he said, that show that he put together, Planet Hollywood, like he did it in twelve weeks. If it was a normal Cirque du Soleil show, two they would take years. two to three years. So, like. Think about that, Bruce. Like, think of the autonomy you have when you can make things happen like that. You don't have to wait on other people's schedules. So uh, that, that shows a real passion, uh, you know, and, and dedication to the, the craft that, that he has. And a skill factor. And when you talk about these shows, you know, there's been, you know, we heard like the WWE where uh, a, a wire, you know, snaps and the guy yeah. falls 30 yeah. feet to his death or whatever the case might be. These things happen. I mean, uh, it's happened in the O show. Somebody was killed uh, when they when the set was changing. Now it just happened right. last week. A Bolshoi theater performer, Bolshoi ballet theater performer, was killed in an accident on stage during the opera. Yeah. And it was all about the scenery changing. Right. And he went in the wrong direction. It got and it got crushed. I mean, right? like like Chris said, anything that can go wrong eventually will, and that's just a, a very scary risk when you uh, do things like that. Absolutely. You know, and speaking of things that can go wrong, I mean, I was happy to see that William Shatner has been shot into space. You know, he's in space. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. He's there. He's did, gone. Did, did he wear uh, his Captain Kirk? No, he had on a uh, one piece from the picture I saw. All right. I guess that's OK. So let's go through a couple of things that are in the UFC world. We have to talk about the things in the news, tragically. So um, Luis Pena, uh, who's been on the show, was arrested on battery, domestic and violence charges in Florida. Supposedly the second uh, in a 60 day period, he's been released by the UFC. Um, John Gruden uh, leaves the Raiders. We've all heard about that. The email, um, the statements being made. There's a lot of, lot of story in the news, but domestic abuse was big. You know, John Jones had a situation a couple weeks ago and then Chuck Waddell, you know, um, you obviously know about that. And Chuck was very open about it. And, and uh, now that his public life, private life has been made public, he's, asking everybody just to let them get through this. Um, I don't know what to say. It's just, it just seems like so much of this is going on, but in Chuck's case, it's, it's situations explaining that it's, he wasn't responsible for what supposedly was publicized. Right. Yeah. So no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I hate to use that word. It's alleged, but it's alleged all, all the way around. Yeah. It's just, it's tough. He's such a great guy. Um, anyway, that's, just news stories in the news and then and even uh tiger atiga tiger atiga the the rapper tiger 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 he was arrested just for felony domestic charges also and bail set at fifty thousand. crazy times yeah i can't really comment beyond that no nope. i do want i do want to uh say one thing um uh and all my best goes out to chuck and, and heidi and i hope everything gets worked out sincerely uh Luke Rockhold, he's out of the USC fight, herniated disc. I don't know if he's ever going to fight again. I mean, it's more than one disc. Yeah, he uh, unfortunately has been plagued with, you know, one thing after another in this sport. And uh, I don't know. It's it's going to be real hard for him to get back to, you know, peak Rockhold status. You know what I mean? Because he, he's such a phenomenal fighter. But, you know, staying healthy is more than half the battle, I think. I agree. I agree. Uh Conor McGregor is making some interesting tweets. Did you happen to see his? Uh, uh, what now? Well, is marijuana legal in, in uh, Florida? TJ, do you know I'm going to actually? I don't believe so. So if marijuana is not legal in Florida. But um, I don't know. Don't take my word for it. 
I got it right here. Constitutive marriage prescribed marijuana. No, recreation use remains illegal. Okay. Okay. So, you know, he posts pictures of him in his car, you know, having fun, doing whatever is mm. in Miami. And, uh, but he put a bunch of pictures on in this one post and he's in Miami driving around. It says, I'm richer than the whole roster, B-I-T-C-H. I'm Rick Ross rolling around Miami, richest ever in history. Just wow. Pinch me. I'm powerful. Rolls Royce, Miami, the key to the city to start proper Mondays grinding. But the third, the third or fourth picture is him smoking a joint inside the car that he's driving in Miami. I, I don't know if that was the smartest thing to post up. I mean, I mean, uh, I have nothing against smoking pot. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, operating a motor vehicle while doing it is probably not responsible. <laughs> Taking a photo of it where it's not legal, uh, also <laughs> not very responsible. I, I mean, I, I, it's clear to say that Connor believes that he's just on a different playing field right like he believes yeah. that he's untouchable and uh you know to a certain extent that might be true but you know the a cop gets behind him and pulls him over there's going to be some hell to pay and uh that's the last thing he needs he needs to uh not be so careless and reckless at times okay i couldn't have said it any better you know listen it's uh he does walk to a different tune he's conor mcgregor he sells out everybody wants to right. hear what he's doing I don't know, as a manager or handler, I would just kind of like maybe said, hey, maybe you could just let that picture out of the post. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that one? Because, I mean, uh, like, this is the thing. Like, marijuana use at this point, you and I have been vocal about it. Like, yeah. I'm not even a big weed guy. I just, don't, you know, I don't see what the big deal is. I don't um, You know, decriminalize it, tax it, make money. It's going to change the economy uh, wherever it is. But, like, the, the bottom line is this. Like you said, Bruce, uh, I mean, you said this. This has been the entire mantra of its time. Like, you know, treat yourself or treat others like you want to be treated. Be a role model to your sphere of influence. Like, that's what Connor should be doing. And, uh, you know, if that's the sort of perception and persona that he wants to put off, that that's fine, I guess. But I do believe when you are that guy, uh, there's going to be a time you fall from grace and he's fallen a few times. And those landings are always a bit harder than if you were, you know, someone of class. You're so kind. You're so kind. I love the way you explained all that because I'm with you all the way. Bottom line, I would never tell anybody to drink and drive. Right. I would never tell anybody to smoke and drive either. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just, it's just counterintuitive. Like, what are you doing, man? Yep. 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 Well, okay. That's one down. <clears throat> Connor will be Connor. Um, it's his world and we live in it. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So all good. Uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson, the famous baseball player. Yep. The Just right now, an auction price at a record price at auction, a photo signed. How much do you think it went for? Uh, Rated have... photo. I have no idea. $1.47 million. Really? $1.47 million. I didn't think it was going to be seven figures. I thought it would be mid mid six. Staggering. It just goes to show you. I keep telling you, you know, this that the whole collectible market is just, it's crazy. Yeah, and you have no idea what is going to be the next hot property either. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Yep. So the world's tallest living woman has been declared, and she's in Turkey. Okay, how tall? Seven feet. 0.7 inches wow that's that's tall I, it's tall that's, that's tall that's tall it's tall yeah. 24 years old um i'm looking at a picture here she walks with a walker i guess you know i don't know uh, oh she has a rare condition that causes accelerated growth called weaver yeah. syndrome you ever hear about that no but i mean that's generally the case when people are uh you know that that large uh i remember you know under the giant he had like gigantism yeah um uh, bigfoot silva had the uh, same sort of thing something with the uh, pituitary glands and 
generally when you're that large, it's it comes down to a medical condition. It's not just genetics and you were super tall because your parents were tall. Right, right. Well, I'm your basic six-footer, so I think yeah. I've actually lost about three-quarters of an inch over the years. They say that happens. It's because in between your your vertebrae, you know, the, the area there. Yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. I just, I just figured you were carrying my dead weight on this show buffer. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's not really dead weight. You do a great job. All right. The fights last week. Uh, good, solid night of fights. UFC fight night, as always. Um, Randy Brown, Jared Gooden, Mackenzie Durham, Marina Rodriguez, Rodriguez, Tim Elliott, uh, Matus Nicolau. Matus Nicolau, he's an up-and-comer. Yeah, he for sure. definite up-and-comer, no yeah. question. That was his first fight in a couple of years. I mean, he was he was awesome. Yeah. Good, good solid night of fights, early show. And I can't say enough about the Tyson Fury-Wilder fight. Um, everybody says it's one of the greatest fights ever. Now, I will say that, yes, Tyson Fury will probably go down as one of the greatest heavyweights. Is he the greatest? Is he the most skilled? That's another question. He reminds me of Tim Sylvia a lot, you know, in the lumbering. I like that comparison. Down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean that with all respect. Trust right. me. He's very exciting. Uh, I was in Vegas. Had I known he was at Hawkinson with Aoki, I probably would have wandered over there because they were shirts off doing their thing, celebrating after the show. Right. But Tyson Fury is definitely, he's very entertaining, um, brings eyeballs to the sport. And uh, he will go down as one of the greatest heavyweights. But when you look at the, you know, the way the punches are thrown with each, it was a very entertaining. And as far as fights go, people absolutely loved it. So good yeah. night for boxing. Good night for boxing. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, there haven't been too many good nights for boxing as of late. No, I will tell you, though, I don't want to name anything yet, but another event that I'm aware of, a big event with one of these influencers and reality stars uh, in England that would, was really big. They they're all think they're going to do millions of pay-per-views like, right. Joe and, like yeah. Logan and Jake. It's yeah. becoming evident now that Logan and Jake are the kings. Right. Uh, of this because well, the other shows, this is the second one now, and I know they're not paying their bills. And I'm not going to say anything until I get stiffed. And then when I get stiffed, I will go public. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. They're not novel anymore. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. just something that, uh, you know, spectacles are spectacles. And don't get me wrong. Like, there's going to be some level of intrigue. But when you're flooding the market with spectacle after spectacle, you're going to have to be more than just, hey, look, you know this person. They're going to punch someone else in the face and get punched in the face. Uh, people are going to save their money for the next, uh, you know, Paul brother fight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's pretty much where we're at and uh, good for them. All right, TJ, I pretty much I'm not going to be in the UFC this weekend. Uh, next weekend, I've got a real crazy. This is crazy. I'm going back east. I'm going to be doing a wedding, right? Okay. In Buffalo. Um, in person? Yeah, they they just All right. made me an offer I couldn't refuse, TJ. Okay, All right. I feel I'm that. Actually, I'm actually, it's business. I'm supposed to go to my buddy Tarek and Heather's wedding. Um but, you know, business is business. Right. They're not going to be mad at that. If anyone no, knows no. business, Tarek knows business. Tarek knows business. And I already made a nice video for him the whole bit. But I'm going to miss a really wonderful wedding they're having in Santa Barbara. But it's hard for me to do that. But, again, business is business. No need to go into the numbers involved. But I will tell right. you one cool thing. I have to be at the Raiders game on Sunday, right? How are you now, doing this? They are actually spending $30,000 on a yeah. private jet. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. I was going to say, this is the only way you can guarantee that travel. It's a J. I'll talk more about it next week, but it's a James Bond weekend. I'm going to go out to Buffalo, New York. I'm going to announce the first dance and, you know, the, into the couple into the reception, give it all the grandiose, you know, and whatever getting on that do. plane. And then immediately I get taken to the airport, board a private jet all by myself. That's going to take me to Vegas, get me in at nine o'clock uh, Saturday night. I'll rest and boom, I'll be at the Raider game in the morning. 
Good for you, Buff. The Raiders want me to there for every home game. I mean, you got to be. Well, it's definitely an interesting week for the Raiders. It definitely is an interesting week. Did you watch the Monday night football game? The Ravens game? Did you watch it this I did not, no. Oh, my God. They've never come back from 16 points or more deficit in the second half. And they came back and won the game by by six points. Wow. It was one of the most amazing. Monday night football has had some amazing games this season. Yeah. I've been watching uh, college football because my my beloved Iowa Hawkeyes are number two in the nation right now. So College football is always a blast. My favorite. It's organic. It's so real. You know, it's the only thing I know where, as happens occasionally in a pro game, they could be down 30 points and then come back and win the game 50 to 30. Right. I mean, the level of pride that's on the line for those college kids, like, I mean, no offense, but when you've lost your first five out of seven, you know, NFL games, you become a bunch of rich a-holes who are, you know, not trying to get hurt. Never going to have that in college football. No, you're never going to have that. That they're, it's, it's a proving factor. It's a proving ground. Yeah. You know, it's very, very passionate proving ground. All right, TJ, I can't think of anything else other than uh, really enjoyed having Chris on the show. We're getting some very, very cool guests. It's very, very. Yeah, he's a, a great guy. Uh, I didn't know that story about his uh, his child having cancer and then, you know, the the work that preceded him having his his child be diagnosed. It's a, a crazy story. It's, uh, you know, it's one that you can really tell he's doing his part. And, uh, you know, uh, it was a pleasure just hearing him uh, speak about that and his career as a whole. Absolutely. And, you know, sitting with him at the game and we were together for, you know, three hours, whatever it was, and to watch him, his wife, uh, rather his his better half, his partner, and there are two about to be three children, the way they interact with each other, it just really gives you faith in the family unit. It was a, it was a beautiful thing to watch. And it obviously comes out in his passion for what he does. So kudos to Chris Angel. It, uh, I learned much more about the man this weekend, and that's why I wanted to have him on the show. Yeah, so, no, phenomenal stuff. Uh, I hope uh, to get out to one of his shows because now I'm super intrigued. When you're ready to go to Vegas, I'll set it up for you. No problem. All right. Okay, get it all taken care of. All right, TJ, sign off and I'll sign off. Uh, yeah, no, just check out what I do on uh, Fight Pass. It's called Extra Rounds. Myself, Pearl Gonzalez, Dean Thomas, Ray Longo, um, recapping and previewing uh, every fight card that is uh, coming up and coming out of. So uh, check that out. It's uh, behind the paywall on UFC Fight Pass, or you can check it out uh, on the Fight Pass Facebook page or download the uh, podcast wherever you get podcasts. Very cool. Fight Pass has a lot of subscribers. I just had a little meeting with them the other day. I'm oh, so I heard. Incredible. I yeah. heard. We'll, we'll talk about it offline. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, everybody. TJ, thank you so much. Uh, Chris, thank you for much being on the show. Everybody, have a great week. Um, all I can tell you is, is that I'm going to enjoy a weekend off because the next three weekends, it is James Bond travel time. And uh, that's what we do. Road Warrior City, UFC Road Warriors. Happy to do it. Love doing it. We'll do it as long as I possibly can forever. All right. With that being said, set your goals, write them down. Have a great week. When you step on that yellow brick path to be the best you can be, just be the best you can. Perform at your best level. Give yourself confidence. Go out there. Tackle the world. Seize the day. Do everything you can, whether you're first, whether you're champion, whether you're second or third. If you're the best you can be, then you're winning. And that's what we're all about on It's Time Radio. Spend a week. Go out there and win. I will talk to you next week. TJ, thank you so much. Everybody have a great week. Best to all you and your family. Buffer out.